So we're in Ephesians chapter 6. The last couple sessions have been about marriage and children. And, and this portion of scripture is about who we are as workers. Are we godly workers? What does the Lord say about the workplace, about our jobs? Uh, the condition, these last three subjects, the condition of marriage in our society. And then we consider the, the condition of children's behavior in our society and even in the church. And now we look at this, what's the state of the workforce in our country what is it like? I submit to you that these are three areas where we're hurting big time. I mean, which one's worse? It's hard to say. Is it harder to find good workers? Is it harder to find a good marriage? Is it harder to find well-behaved kids? All of those things are becoming more and more rare in our society. It's hard to find somebody who says there are a lot of good marriages around. It's hard to find somebody who will say, Boy, children these days are very well behaved. It's hard to find somebody who says, there are so many good workers out there that I just don't even know who to choose. When I talk to supervisors, managers, foremans, business owners, rarely, rarely do I hear, I've got so many quality candidates. I just don't know which one to pick. No, it's the opposite. I can't find somebody who wants to work. I fly the job, and nobody shows up to even interview for it. What does that say about the so-called workers? Are they workers in our society? What are we like as Christians? This is a portion of our walk with God. All of this, our families, our kids, our marriages, who we are as workers and even as employers, as workforce authorities, so to speak, the Lord speaks to us very clearly about these things. So like with marriage and children, we have to ask, in whom will we put our hope? In all of this, when we reflect upon where we are as the people of God and where we, when we look at our society, our country, if we think about marriage, kids, and even contributing to society in the context of the workforce, it can be pretty depressing. Where will you put your hope? In whom will you put your hope? Since we are in a dismal situation where we're struggling to live out these things, and we see those who do not know Christ, they're not saved, and they're struggling to live out these things. Who will we put our confidence in? Who will we turn to? Driving down the freeway this last week, in a short stretch, I saw these three billboards. One said this, life is uncertain. Hope is just a click away. Calhope.com. Hope in California? That's insanity. <laughs> We're hurting, life is uncertain, and California is saying, I know who you can trust. <laughs> Click right here. That's what we're being told. The next billboard, very closely in proximity, very close in proximity to that one, hashtag dadification. Obviously a billboard promoting being a responsible dad. And the website is fatherhood.gov. So are we supposed to trust, who am I supposed to look to when it comes to what the Lord calls me to be as a dad? We've been studying this. Am I supposed to look to the president or the governor and say, 
this, the government must know how, how I should be as a parent. This is an avenue for witnessing. It's an avenue for the gospel. Open up that conversation. What's the state of our people's homes, their houses, their marriages? Who are we going to look to? We're hurting. Are we going to look to the government? Almost nobody will say to you, that's a good idea. It's hard to find somebody, even those who approve of those who have the highest positions, civil positions, say, yeah, that would be a good idea. It seems like they can fix it. What have they ever fixed? The next billboard, this one got to me. Smokey the Bear billboard that said, love thy neighbor, help prevent wildfires. Quoting Jesus, but putting our hope in Smokey the Bear and saying, (laughs) don't start fires because you're a bad neighbor when you do that. Isn't that the major understatement of the day? Like, don't light the countryside on fire because your neighbors will hate you for that afterwards. <laughs> and once again, it's, the, it's, it's people. Are we going to turn to people when it comes to, to these issues? Workplace, family, marriage. I hope that you agree with me and you say that would be ridiculous for us to turn to the ideas of men, for us to just get deeper and deeper into thinking that we're going to solve our own problems. But there is a bigger issue And it literally is who will we hope in when it comes to eternity? Who will we hope in when it comes to our salvation? I want to hope in Jesus when it comes to my marriage, my family, my work. But my hope is in him for something far greater than those things. And that is my salvation. This world is drifting. They know they're drifting. They know their way out there. The only hope is in Jesus. If you're here today, and you don't know the hope of Christ, and you don't know that the reason we're in this situation is because we're sinners, and you haven't realized that all of us are a part of that. It's not just those people out there that don't know how to manage their houses or be good workers. We don't know how to do that apart from Christ, and he's our only hope. And when it comes to, way more importantly than that, our our life, our eternal life, he is our only hope. He took our sin upon himself, God in the flesh, coming down to us and then willingly being crucified so that we could be free and forgiven. This unbelieving world is not free. The people around you, as you go out into the world, they don't know that forgiveness and that freedom, and they don't have the direction and the guidance of Jesus. Put your hope in him. The word says that if you will confess him as Lord, That means as master, and we're going to learn about masters today. If you'll put him in charge of his life, that's where he belongs. That's his position. That's what his position should be in your life, right? If you will submit to him because he loved you first, he will save you. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he's no longer in that tomb, and you give your life to him, he makes a place He reserves a place in heaven for you. So as we learn these very practical issues, let's not forget, I I want our country to rebound. I pray for us to repent. But putting our hope in people is a dead-end road. The Almighty God has handed us some absolutes, and they have been abandoned by far too many. Our hope is in Jesus. He's our master, the master of eternity, the master of our salvation. Ephesians Chapter 6, verse 5 says, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, 
as to Christ. Let's consider the situation in the Roman Empire at this time. At the time of the writing of this epistle, about 35% of the population in the Roman Empire was made up of those who were in servitude, those who were enslaved. Now, there were many different situations for why somebody would be a bondservant or a slave. Many of them were captives. The Romans just gobbled up other nations around them. And sometimes, if those people were especially unruly, they would take that people group and make them slaves to themselves because they couldn't keep track of them, they couldn't trust them. And, and they said, we can't trust you to even have a little bit of autonomy. Some people they did that with, so they'd pull them in and they would become slaves to Romans, to Roman officials, to even Roman soldiers. Some people were in servitude because they were criminals paying off a debt. We think in terms of incarceration today or probation. If, if you committed a crime, sometimes you paid for that crime by serving a certain amount of time as a servant, doing something instead of just sitting there, doing time, right? Some who were in servitude were there because they were in debt. We just think, oh, I'll, I just, I rack up debt, I have a pro, poor credit score, or maybe I'll declare bankruptcy. No, in the Roman Empire, if you were in debt, you became a slave until you paid that debt off. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I'm not saying we should go back to it, but what I'm saying is I think we'd probably avoid debt more than we do today if we knew we'd be enslaved. Now, God, through his word in, in the context of Israel, put limits on that. The, the, somebody couldn't be a slave within the context of the Hebrew nation for longer than six years, and on the seventh year, they were to be released. That was the year of freedom. So the Lord saw this, but in the Roman Empire, this was not the case. Many who were enslaved, many who were put into servitude for one of those reasons, sometimes a prisoner of war, sometimes a debtor, sometimes a criminal, sometimes a captive from one of the nations that had been subdued. Coming in, many of them were slaves or servants their whole lives. So when Paul writes bond servants here, he's including slaves. It's a larger category. They're not all slaves, but he's definitely referring to slaves also because we have that reference later on in this chapter. There are those who say that the Bible condones slavery because it explains how an enslaved person should act. That's nonsense. The Bible doesn't condone murder, but it puts certain instructions forth when it comes to a murder for when it occurs, cities of refuge and, sus and so forth. The Bible doesn't condone no-fault divorce, but it does contain provisions to protect women who could possibly be oppressed by a husband who just sends her away with, with no rights, so to speak. So just because God's word addresses, this is what should be done in this situation, doesn't mean that God's condoning the institution of slavery. And this isn't an exhaustive study on what the Bible says about slavery, but it's clear that freedom should be used for God. That if you're free, and you can read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, if you are free, if you gain your freedom, if you complete that time, or if you're released, that you and I should use our freedom to serve God. That even though we might have our freedom, we are to live in service to the master, to the king, to the Lord, and that is Jesus. Bondservant instructions can definitely be applied to an employee today. 
Because an employee has a master according to the flesh. Isn't that what the word says here? Meaning that their work belongs to that employer for that portion of time. In a way, you might find yourself to be bound to work. Why are you bound to work? Bond servant, bound. Why are you bound to work? Well, I have a house to pay for. I, I want to eat food, so I'm bound. I, I, have, I like to pay for my vehicle. I like to keep the lights on. So there's a binding that happens. There's a bond that happens. And although we might say, well, I'd rather not work, we're bound to work in order to provide for ourselves. So it certainly applies to employees today. You may change em- your employer, but there's a bond in many of our lives when it comes to work authorities. Now, if you're no longer needing to work for a living because you've saved by working for years and years, we'll learn about the truth that you have a bond also. Now, usually we call that retirement, don't we? But according to the Bible, if you're a retired Christian, you're not free. You say, oh great, I came to church retired and I left unretired. But the Bible makes it clear right here, even if we're no longer bound to an employer or bound to a business or bound to work so that we can pay for our provisions because we've saved, we still have a bond. And that is to the master. That is to the king. That is to the God of the universe. And what does our servitude look like when it comes to the Lord? Point number one, beginning in this verse five that we read, Number one is obey work authorities. God gives instructions to obey authorities. So obey your employer, your supervisor, your your boss, your, your manager, your foreman. And all the rules of civil disobedience apply here. Don't obey your boss when it comes to breaking the law. Don't obey your boss when it comes to abuse. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Don't follow an employer in breaking the law. But let's face it. That is often not the issue that we're facing when it comes to obeying work authorities. It's difficult to just do the things that our bosses tell us to do because we don't want to do it. And today, we're called team members and associates. Have you noticed that? That we don't want to call people workers anymore. I even saw now that sometimes they call highway maintenance workers road technicians. And it's just, it's, there's something that, and I, if you like the Fufu name, that's up to you. But there's something, when you don't call somebody a worker, then there's not a lot of mystery to why they're not working, right? You're a team member. Well, you, you want them to maybe act as a team. I see the approach there. But if you don't realize that you have a boss and your boss is in charge, there's a problem. If you're an associate, that carries the connotation that we make decisions together. And the reality is, is in the workplace, your supervisor usually just tells you what to do. It's not that some reasonable supervisors don't listen, but that's a lot different, isn't it? I even hear in the workplace, this one cracks me up, we're family. We're we're not, uh, and you know what I say to that one? Once I'm in your will, then we can be family. (laughs) But until then, don't call me family, right? I say, oh, we're like family. Oh, cool. I'm glad I'm getting a cut when you kick the bucket because (laughs) otherwise we're not family. Let me in the circle. And they're like, oh, well, you're not, I didn't mean it that way, right? No, we're workers. 
right? And I hope that we can treat each other with the goodwill that God has laid out here, but obeying work authorities. That's what the Bible is saying here. What gets in the way? A lot of times, as a worker, we don't agree with the process that we were told to carry out. We think there's a better way to do it, an easier way to do it, a faster way to do it. And our supervisor, our boss, has told us, this is the way I want it done. If your boss has listened to you, that's great. It's not necessarily a requirement. But then you disagree, do it her way. She's the boss. Obedience to authority. That's part of who we're to be as Christian workers, right? How about I don't like my hours? Well, according, the supervisor makes the schedule, not the reverse. You have a lot of people complaining about their hours. Well, did you know this company was open on that day? Oh, yeah, I did. So why are you bellyaching about the hours? Do what you're told to do, right? Be there during some... I, I, don't, I don't like that. Obey work authorities. Or we don't agree with compensation. This happens sometimes. We don't agree with what we're being paid. We think that we're worth more money and maybe are worth more money. Oftentimes that comes because we're comparing ourselves to the person next to us. But if your boss doesn't think that you deserve to make more than the person next to you, then do we resort to pilfering money or cheating on our time card or not working when we're supposed to be working? That is all lack of obedience. As the Lord says here, obey your work authorities. Obey those who are over you. This happens a lot. Maybe you just don't like the task what you're called to do. Like, that's too low for me. And if I start doing the so-called low tasks, then they will keep me from doing the things I want to do. Actually, no. If you're willing to get in there and fill the gaps, just obey. Do what they tell you to do. That's what God is saying to workers. As believers, as followers of Jesus, we ought to be the best workers out there. People, employers, supervisors, business owners should be standing in line because we're not just working for them. We're working for the Lord. And he tells us point blank, obey what they say. Number two, obey because it's God's ordained order. Do you see that the reasoning or the motivation behind our obedience to work authority isn't because we think our work authorities are really smart. It isn't necessarily because we think they're the best at what they do. It's because God has ordained this order, that he's the one that set it in motion. I hope you think you have a good employer. But do you notice how the Bible says here, with fear and trembling? It's not necessarily saying that we fear our boss, but we work in a way that recognizes that there are other authorities other than God Almighty. Not all authorities in the workplace are scary. Maybe you've had a scary boss before. It's not saying that. It's saying, I'm working under the ordination of God, and I fear God. Therefore, I know I'm accountable to him, and I'm going to obey accordingly. If you read the book of Genesis, it tells you about Joseph in Egypt, doesn't it? Joseph didn't have godly bosses. Joseph worked for those who were corrupt, those who were godless in many cases. But he worked very hard, and if you know the history, they really valued his hard work and his ingenuity. And he was promoted many, many times, almost all the way to the very, very top of the whole country. 
He worked hard because he knew that was God's ordained order. Is that part of our mentality when we work? Are we just thinking, this boss really ain't worth it? No, it's part of God's ordained order for us to follow what they tell us to do, to obey. But then when it came time when Potiphar's wife, Joseph's boss's wife, tried to use that position to pull him into something ungodly, right, and say, hey, run away with me, and say, I don't want to be with my husband anymore, I want to be with you. He rejected that immediately, and he lost everything at that point in the eyes of people. So he was willing to obey, but still he lived in a way that was godly in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. So obey work authorities and obey because it's God's ordained order. That should be our, our mentality. Now verse 6 not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. This is, I gotta stop right here. I wasn't supposed to, but I'm going to. Have you ever worked next to somebody who they just are totally paying attention to who's watching? They pretty much don't work when they don't think anybody's watching, and then they work when they think people are watching. It's so annoying. I just wanna tell you that. It's, it's so bothersome. To me, killing time at work just makes the day longer and worse. I mean, I just, even if, I just want to be productive. Now, but there are people in this world that don't want to be productive. And it might be hard for you to identify with them. It's like, they are just waiting for who's watching. Okay, now I'm going to start doing something. That's eye service as men pleasers. Instead of doing what we're called to do, because the boss can't watch us 100% of the time, they just wait. And they, became, they become people that are just seeking to please with eye service. It says not with eye service. Don't just be focused on that. Verse seven, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So point number three, obey to please God. Yes, it's a part of God's ordained order, but realize that when we work at our jobs, we're working to please the Lord. This is addressing the heart, the motivation, isn't it? Doesn't it say right there in verse five, sincerity? And then in verse 6, from the heart, right? Is that 6? Yeah, from the heart. This is addressing where we are in our motivation. Now, the alternative is to obey in order to please people. So either we're seeking to please God with sincere hearts and saying, God is calling me to be a solid worker, an obedient worker. Or we get our eyes off and we start striving to please people instead of the Lord. If you obey to please God, you won't have to wait for the boss to be watching for you to work. Now realize this too, a boss doesn't have to see you do a task to know that you did it. This is what I'd like to explain to those freeloaders that only work when the boss is watching. Most bosses are sensible enough to see that something gets done, even if they're not watching it get done. Just this week, I was talking to one of my friends, and he, he runs a business, and he was just we weren't even talking about this. He's like, yeah, I'm just here cleaning up in the shop because employees can't take the trash out. Like these are adults that work for him. And when the trash is full, you know what they do? They just pile trash around the trash can, right? Don't you, that's another thing I love. They just say it's full and crunch it, crunch it down pretty soon. You can't even get the bag out of the thing. He's like, because they're waiting for their boss to come and take out the trash. Do you think he's gonna notice when it's like, oh, there's room in the trash can. Yes, he's got to notice. Obey to please God, not with eye service, but still that makes you a good worker. 
Now, maybe you don't work to please your boss. Sometimes we work to please ourselves. Because look what the Bible says, as men pleasers. We can work at our jobs, not first and foremost to please our bosses, but to please ourselves. To say, I work because it's my sense of accomplishment. It's my sense of purpose. It's for my satisfaction. If we're honest, there can seep in a certain amount of pride when it comes to our work. And then are you working to please men? Or are you working to please God? Men, I'm working to please this man, right? I work because of the accomplishment. I work because of the satisfaction. I work because of the purpose. And that's being a men pleaser, to not say, I work first and foremost to please God. Now, we work for those things, but we also work for payment, don't we? And the Bible is saying here that we work to please God more than we work for the paycheck. Wow, think about that. When you're at work, when, when you're laboring, sometimes does your brain think, okay, I'm here and I'm doing this, but I'm going to get money, and then I can pay for it. Does your brain do that sometimes? Really, it doesn't. You guys are just looking at me like, no, I don't know what I think. When you're at work, do you think, okay, I am doing this and I don't like it, but because of this, I have a house. Because of this, I might even get to go on vacation. You don't do that to yourself? I do. When I'm working, I'm thinking, maybe I won't. Well, if you don't do this, you're not going to get paid. But in front of that, way in front of that, although we seek to provide for ourselves and those that are dependent on us, the Bible says, that our motivation is to be to please God first. Seek first the kingdom, and he's going to add everything else. He's going to add the provision. He's going to add the purpose. He's going to add the sense of accomplishment. But oftentimes in our lives, it gets out of order because we don't see it as pleasing God first when it comes to our jobs. And God is saying to us, our supreme motivation should be to please him. Not any mere person, not even ourselves. So do you think, I'm commuting for Christ. I'm clocking in for Jesus. That's the reason I just clocked in. I'm doing this work. I'm doing this labor because he is my master, because I want to please him. Oftentimes we think more in terms of what's going to please my boss or what's going to please me. When God is telling us in his word, First of all, when your alarm clock goes off, I'm waking up for the Lord. I'm waking up and going to work for the Lord. Do you think that way? Nobody said yes. Okay. <laughs> we need lots of, we just kind of see you sleepy today. It's okay. Don't you need lots of patience and understanding as you work? Patience and understanding with others. You said yes this time. You need lots of patience and understanding. Now, if we're trying to be patient only for some kind of payment, that is going to end pretty quickly, isn't it? Like, I'm going to be patient today because I want to get paid. I don't want to get fired. I'm going to try to be filled with understanding for those around me because I, I, I'm doing it for the paycheck and I'm doing it for the sense of accomplishment. That's not from the heart. But if it's for the Lord, listen to this, he pours his patience and his understanding through you. So then... You get to verse 10. Then you're being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might instead of drawing on your own patience. Then you're walking in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he is working through you even in the workplace. Spirit-filled Christian worker, full of patience and understanding 
and diligence. I still listen to Pastor Damian Kyle quite often. Such a blessing. I hope you're using the blessing that you can really listen to some all-star Bible teachers all week long. He's one of the ones that I listen to on a regular basis. I don't know him that well personally, but I remember when I was in college, I was at a conference and he was teaching there and I talked to him for a while. And at the time, because I was in college, I was scooping ice cream. That was my job. I was an ice cream scooper. Uh, the other guys got to go outside and do like cool stuff, like you know, cut weeds and do security. I was always scooping ice cream for some reason. I, they must have thought I was really good at it. <laughs> and so Pastor Damien was asking me, he's like, what are you up to? I said, well, I'm going to college and I'm working. And he said, what are you working? I said, actually, I'm scooping ice cream. He said, be the best ice cream scooper you can be for Jesus. Yeah. And he wasn't joking. Like, be the best you can be for the Lord. And you're thinking, I can do that for God? Isn't that what? He's speaking to slaves here. Be the best servant, the best slave you can be for your master to please the Lord. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this is verse 8, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Point number four, obey, once again, Obey remembering the good God will give. Isn't that what it says here in verse 8? You'll give your goodwill, and then God will give you his good. Now, which good is really good, your good or God's? Definitely. He is truly good, perfectly good. So we give to the Lord the good that he first gives to us. We, we work heartily as to the Lord and not just as to men. And then it, the Bible says here that God gives to us. Do you believe that? When the Bible talks about God giving gifts, I pay attention. I like gifts, especially when they're from the perfect gift giver. When the Lord says, I want to bless you. When the Lord says, I want to give to you. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Every truly good gift has its source in the Lord. So when the Lord says, I want to bless you, I want to give to you, and you're going to receive the same from the Lord, it makes me pay attention. You too? We can get so short-term in our service that we're forgetting to please God, and we're forgetting that the Word says that He will bless us. Now, we shouldn't obey just for the benefits, but the Bible says here that we should remember it. I say to you that that good did not just happen to you. That good came to you because of God and through God. It was from him. So obey remembering that the good, remembering that the good God will give to you. The God of the universe will give to you because of your work. Short point, that was number four. Now let's do verse nine. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening knowing that your master, your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So there are also instructions here for those who are in positions of authority, right? So this fourth point, this final point is obey as an authority under God. So even if you have a certain sphere of authority, a manager, a supervisor, a foreman, you come under your master, who is the Lord in heaven, and with him there is no 
partiality. If an authority ordained by God is full of goodwill, that's what God is asking for, seeking to bless those that are working under them. Seek to bless those who are called to obey you. What's the contrast? Instead of the goodwill coming from that work authority, what's the contrast here in the word that people resort to sometimes? Wasn't it in there? Threatening. You see right there? You have a threatening boss, a threatening employer, a threatening supervisor. Instead of looking for opportunities to bless those, they're full of threats for them. This is how they're going to control you. How long are you going to have your job? Is that all you're going to do? I'm going to write you up. I'm going to reduce your pay. Cornering people. That's manipulation. It's the way of the world. And the Lord says to those of you who are in that place where there are people under you in the workplace, be full of goodwill. Be full of blessings towards those who are called to obey you. That is your job as a master with a lowercase m. Remember as an authority that with God, there is no partiality. I read to you from Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. A renewal in which there is no distinction, this is talking about our salvation, between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. But Christ is all and in all. The Lord is impartial. I'm not impartial. I want to be more like the Lord, but are you completely impartial? No, at least you admit it. I'm partial to my wife. She can get through when my phone is on do not disturb. That's how important she is to me. You can't, right? You can't get through. My kids, special ringtone, comes right through to me. And I tell them, don't you dare call me at 10.30 on Sunday morning, right? Or Sunday, right? Be smart about it. But as people, we're partial. Like, we have our, our, our favorites, so to speak. Um, but think about the Lord. It's not as though he's like, oh, the president is praying right now. <laughs> or, or the prime minister is praying right now. I'm listening to him. Or a pastor or an evangelist or somebody who's wealthy. If they're powerful, powerful or they're poor, the Lord says, I am not partial. I'm not like a mere man. And so you come under my authority as an earthly authority. Be full of goodwill. Remember that if you have some measure of earthly authority with God, there is no partiality. You might think you're something special. Maybe you fell in that self-esteem generation. So you're like, yeah, with God, there's no partiality. He loves you. You're his child. But seek to bless that person who is under your authority. Many of you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. On purpose, we, we sang a lot of lordship songs and worship today. What's a good synonym for Lord? Master. You might call Jesus your boss, but master, com complete authority. You have a master, and that is Jesus, and you are to serve him accordingly. Are you serving the Lord selectively? And even that question has a contradiction in it. If he is your Lord, then he governs every portion of your life. Are you serving the Lord selectively? We slip into 
serving the Lord in a manner that's conditional quite easily. And we no longer treat him for who he is as our master. Because sometimes there's just certain things that we won't do. Now, I'm paying attention, and I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, how about lack of ability? The Lord knows when we lack ability. But oftentimes, it's not lack of ability. It's lack of availability. We've told our master, think about this, our boss, our Lord, our king, no, I won't do that. And we're learning a lot about this as a body right now. Because he's my Lord, because he's my master, he stretches me to do things that I would rather not do. Do you see? Because if you only do things that you are comfortable doing, then you're your own master, right? But if you do things that you know are beyond your desire, your liking, way beyond your ability, then you are doing what your heavenly father, what your master, what your king has told you to do. Have we gotten to the place somehow in our walk with God that we just keep it right where we're comfortable, right? Where, well, then once again, I understand there's ability, but sometimes it's just availability. It's lack of willingness to do something. And if he indeed is your master, if he's your Lord, if you've called upon him for salvation, it doesn't make sense to serve him in that manner, to be selective in our service to him. We might be slower than we used to be. We might be less efficient than we used to be. But can we do it? Usually the answer is yes. So serve him as your master. Don't slip into that serving selectively. Are we serving the Lord arrogantly? Once again, that question has a contradiction in it too. If he's your Lord, how can we expect to be treated in a certain way? This is like the employee they won't do a certain task task because it's too low for them and their boss comes in and does it. Some of you are bosses are shaking your heads. Like I had to come back and pick up the garbage because you're a pig. You didn't clean up after yourself. So now I'm your custodian, right? It's backwards all of a sudden. Are we that way when it comes to serving our master? Like, well, there's just certain things. I expect to be treated in a certain way. You know, I've been saved for decades. I have ranked myself up for a a while by now. I can't be hassled or inconvenienced when it comes to serving my master. He's your master. It's about being hassled, isn't it? It's about being inconvenienced. Have we forgotten that we are servants? The first three chapters of this book of Ephesians are indeed glorious. Your your citizenship, your salvation, your predestination, your election, your wealth in Christ. And now in this section, he's gotten to the walk portion where it's like, you're my son, you're my daughter, and let's build the kingdom together. We need to call ourselves servants. A true servant is not offended when he's treated like one. But somebody who's struggling with servanthood gets offended, gets hurt when they're treated in a lowly manner. So maybe you have the ministry of treating people in a lowly way so they realize that they're, they're servants. Don't do it on purpose. I'm saying don't be annoying, but it, it's going to happen. I serve you with all my heart, Lord. Isn't that something that flows pretty easily from our lips? But let it flow from our lives. I mean, say it. Sing it. I, I, Lord, call him Lord. Call him Master. You should. And I serve you with, with my whole life. But let me be convicted and empowered 
to stop giving God all these off-limits areas. If, if he says, I think about Moses when I was studying this. Just, yes, this eventually a mighty man of God, but he was just full of excuses. God, I, 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 can't, I, 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 I stutter. I, 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 my brother, he's a lot better at this. You, you see that in the Bible, and does the Lord say, I'm sorry, Moses. I realize that's out of your comfort zone. I totally wasn't thinking. You're not an orator. No, the Lord, because he loves you, keeps you, shaping you as that piece of clay. He keeps molding you as his child. We have been called into service by the one who is far above, high above, all other kings, all other kingdoms. He is our master and our Lord, and that is Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, right now we sit before you and we thank you for being the perfect authority. We might have excuses, Lord, for not serving mere people, mere men, but you, Lord, you, you've always led us in the ways that are good and righteous, and so we submit ourselves to you because you're good, because you loved us first. Help us to sort out what it means to, to live that way towards each other. I pray that you would work in us as employees, as those who, who seek to please you, even in the way that we earn a living, Lord, that we wouldn't see our lives as, as separate. It's like, oh, that's the spiritual thing. That's my devotional life, and that's my work life. No, Lord, let it all be devotion to you, to please you, to realize that it's your ordained order. Lord, I, I pray for many in this place who have Others look into them, and rightfully so. They, they have people that they're training, people that they employ, that they would reflect you to them. Lord, you're not a permissive leader. You're, you're patient, but you're not permissive. You require what is good, and you are a God that's full of goodwill. So I pray for, for my brothers and sisters as they endeavor to reflect you to those that are called to obey them. Lord, we pray that if there's a difference made, and there will be, that it would, the glory would be given to you. That if anything about our, our business, about our work, about our endeavors is good, that we would give you the credit. If somebody says to us, Lord, thank you for the good job, that we would say, like, it's only because of Jesus. I mean, Lord, let us say that more often. I'm only who I am. Anything good is because God put it in me. I, it wasn't from me. I thank you for loving me and for being so patient with me through this and so many other areas, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.